that, uh, we're going to do a few psalms before we dip into Jeremiah. So that'll be our long-term investment. Prior to it, however, we've taken some requests, and a few of the folks in the class have asked for certain psalms in particular, one of which is this one, Psalm 51. So we'll do this today. If you want to read ahead, next week, 63, Psalm 63. Then Brother Chuck will take us through a few others, and then probably after Brother Chuck's two-week rotation, we'll probably dip into Jeremiah. Don't hold us exactly to that time frame, but, but I think that's generally it. I can tell you for sure that if, uh, unless the rapture happens before next week, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll take you through Psalm 63. If the rapture happens, then Brother Chuck will do it. <laughs> see, see, so this is a pretty, see, that would not be funny in certain circles. You all know your stuff. That is really good. All right. You, you know your Bible, I'll tell you that. That was excellent. I mean, you, there's not too many settings where you can get away with theology humor. You know what I mean? But that was good. Way to go. So Psalm 51, take a look. For the choir director. Does yours have that? Yeah. So this was a song, wasn't it? It's, it, it, it's interesting. This was the hymn book of ancient Israel. They would sing this in worship. It's not a pleasant song entirely to sing, but they didn't sing for entertainment of the singers. <laughs> they sang for the edification of the singer and the glory of God. This is a sermon uh, put to lyrics and music. So it's for the choir director. It's written by David. It says so right there, Psalm of David. We even know the circumstances under which he wrote this. Look what it says. When Nathan the prophet came to him after he, David, had gone into Bathsheba. Do you have all that or something like it? Okay, so the event is recorded. It's a sad event. In Second Samuel chapter 11, chapter 12, David's the king of Israel. He has an illicit affair with a married woman named Bathsheba. She's taking a bath. He should have been, uh, oh, I didn't realize that was humorous, but I guess it is. <laughs> Wow. I'll use it in the next hour as if I meant it on purpose. But I, um, he, he was the king of Israel, and the army was at war. You would think the king would be with them. He wasn't. The scriptures say, though he should have been, he stayed back. This is, his, this is kind of trouble, see. And so um, he sees her bathing uh, on, on a roof. And you might say, how in the world? Was he like a peeping Tom? Maybe. <clears throat> but not quite like we think. See, in the Middle East, uh, buildings were flat roof buildings, and the roof was used for all manner of things. You could dine up there. It could be made a guest room. You could take naps up there. Remember midday, Peter in Acts, after he ate, got tired, went up to the roof uh, to take a nap? It's not a, an angular, a slanted roof, an inclined roof like we have today. They'd use it. In fact, the upper room, you know about the upper room. Uh, made famous by the Lord Jesus, was probably an upper guest room uh, on an otherwise flat-roofed building designed for that purpose. So um, you can see water supplies on these flat-roofed buildings all through the Middle East, even today. So Bathsheba is there. On the other hand, even though bathing up there on the roof would not have been quite so unusual, there is a possibility that she was being less than discreet at the time. 
I don't know this for sure, but there's a possibility. Anyway, he's home, David. He should have been at work. He didn't go to work. He stayed home. Somehow she catches his eye, and now he is uh, responsible for going back, apparently, for more than one look. So I know this is a mixed group, but uh, guys, I think you'll know more typically uh, than women, not not a hard and fast rule, but generally men are more subjected to what their eyes see, more susceptible to the eye gate than are ladies, generally. Generally speaking, ladies are more susceptible to um, words, kind kind words, you see. So we have to kind of know, know ourselves and be careful. Well, um, so David saw and David probably desired and David lent his thoughts. He's a progressive kind of a thing. Anyway, he has an affair. Uh, she becomes pregnant. What happened to the baby? Yeah, the baby died. Uh, she's married. What's her husband's name? Uriah. What's he doing? He's, he's out there with the army. The king should have been leading in that regard. He's not. Uriah comes back. He has an audience with the king at the king's initiative. Uh, Uriah uh, shows uh, due respect to the uh, king. And the king says, I got a new assignment for you, Uriah. Sends him to the front lines. It was a plot uh, uh, to lead to his demise. Here's my point. We're not talking about a guy who missed choir practice here, right? This is like your major infraction of the rules. What commandments of the ten, which ones did David break? He did the adultery thing. What else? Covet. Adultery. Coveting. What else? Murder. Murder. Yeah, the whole deal. How about, how about uh, false witness or lying? Or, I mean, look, here's the deal, folks. Um, what you're about to see is a model of repentance. You, a Christian, might not be rightly related to God right now. Don't get me wrong. Through the cross and your faith in it, you have peace with God. You just don't have the peace of God. Why? Maybe you're at odds with God. Do you know after we get saved, we still could sin? It's not a good idea, but we could. And when we do, we don't forfeit salvation, but we sure forfeit the joy of salvation. So, 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 so if that's you, I, I, think I, I think I could tell you without overemphasizing this point, you could get it together before you leave here today. You can make it right with it. Let's just follow David's step. And I just want to show you, look at the extremity of his transgressions. Are yours this bad? Don't answer. Maybe they are. I, I'm, I'm just trying to say here, we're not just talking about someone who, who uh, I don't know, did some few mild and soft things wrong. This is major stuff. You pointed out how many commandments he violated. But here's the point. If you come to God as a contrite sinner seeking his forgiveness, you will find it. So here's how David does it. Learn from him. Verse 1. Look how he starts. Be gracious to me. Wait just a second. That just tells me a lot. Doesn't it tell you? You know what he's doing? He's coming to God based on who God is, not on who he is. Look, look, look. He's not saying, oh, God, generally speaking, I'm a pretty good guy, as you know. I try to live a moral and ethical life. I'm surely better than most of my neighbors. I mean well. 
there are mitigating circumstances. I had an off day. I promise you I probably won't do it again, maybe. There's none of that. You know what he said? He doesn't come and say, he, he doesn't say, God, be fair to me. Did you notice that? He doesn't say be fair. to You don't ever want to ask. For, do you want? God, would you please give me what I deserve? Are you out of your mind? You don't want fairness. You want grace. So the deal is, if you're trying to get it right with God, always come on the basis of his character, not your own. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. See, once again, God's care. By the way, the Hebrew word here for loving kindness is chesed, chesed. Join me in saying, yeah. (laughs) Chesed. It's a cool kind of a love. It's not erotic. It's not the kind of love David and Bathsheba shared. No, this is unending love. It's the love that will not let you go. It's the love that persists in spite of you. Chesed love. David knew about it. How do you know about this? He was in covenant with God. We are reading about someone who is redeemed. Yes, a redeemed person can drift. Maybe you're one. If you're here, I'm glad. Get it together. You owe it to yourself. Get it together. You could do it. Just follow the steps David did. Make your appeal on the basis of God's grace, his loving kindness, and look, the greatness of your compassion. Another Hebrew word, rachamim. Say that one with me, I dare you. Rachamim. It's such a good word. It's the kind of, it's a mom extending herself to a, a baby. That's the, it's God Almighty. A consuming fire extending himself to you like a loving mom. This is the motherhood of God behind this word. Yeah. So, so David says, you are gracious, you are loving, you are compassionate. On the basis of who you are, please blot out my... Tra- I bring to the table transgressions. You bring to the table grace and love and compassion. All of that can erase all of what I brought. You see what he's doing? So don't be playing games with God. Don't be making excuses for your deliberate sin. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't cry for fair. God doesn't hear a cry for fairness. He hears a cry for mercy. He hears a cry. And then David says, wash me. It's a metaphor. But here he wants to be washed not on the outside, Look, I know most of us only know the outside of others of us. (laughs) That's why we spend so much time cleaning up the outside of us. (laughs) How's my hair? You know, how's my makeup? How's my, you know, does this make me look fat? You you know, it's okay. Do the best you can with what you got. That's that's fine. But, But God is really interested on the inside of us. Because, because that's the only thing that's going to be, that, that endures, not the outside. So David says, I want to be washed, but on the in, thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Okay, so learn something else, else about a truly repentant person. You make your appeal on the basis of God's characteristics, not your own. Second, 
You're not just seeking a pardon. You're seeking purity. That's the mark of true repentance. The public figures of the day who go on the airwaves and tell you they're sorry are seeking a pardon. They're seeking the restoration of circumstances as they were before they got caught. That is not repentance. Repentance says, I have a problem, God. It's not that I got caught. It's that I am sinful on the inside. It simply came out. What's in there came out. A pardon just deals with what's out. I want you to deal with what's inside. See, so a truly repentant person is not just seeking restoration of the status quo as it was before he got caught, he or she. Uh, he's seeking purity. For I know, verse 3, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. You want to know something? They were before him for about a year. I'll tell you how I get this. Uh, Bathsheba conceived and and the baby died. And between the time when she conceived to the time of David's repentance here is about one year. We know this by comparing this, Psalm 51, to another psalm of confession of David, Psalm 32, and Second Samuel 11 and 12. When you put those three sources together, you get a chronology. And you find out that it's been about a year um, since uh, he committed, since he transgressed with Bathsheba over against her husband and so on. Do you know how miserable that year must have been for him? Look, he says, he says, my sin is ever before me. The first thing he'd get up, he'd look in the mirror, figuratively speaking. He'd be confronted with who he is. He'd be confronted with his unconfessed sin. Look, I've made this statement before, and I think it bears repeating. The most miserable person on this earth is not an unsaved person. That will be the most miserable person in the world to come. But the most miserable person here is a saved person outside of the will of God. You're killing yourself because you have his spirit to convict you of sin. David in Psalm 32 said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away as with the fever heat of summer. So I offer you this. Why wait that long? Why wait that long? A Christian can sin. A Christian can confess it. A Christian can turn from it to Christ and can meet with the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ experientially. You can be restored to right communion. You don't have to be in such misery. Brother Charles, do you have your hand? Yeah. And I know Isaiah said uh, if you know him, uh, you want to do what you like. Yeah. Lord Jesus 
Yes. 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 Um, I'm glad you're taking it personally because that stupid thing, you were looking right at me. <laughs> well said. This is a good... Uh, this is good spiritual hygiene for every day, isn't it? This cleansing kind of a <laughs> prayer. So David was quite aware of his sins. Don't wait so long before you get right with God. Don't wait. There's no need. Look, verse 4. Against you, you only, I have sinned. But wait. Didn't he sin not only with but against Bathsheba? And didn't he most certainly sin against Uriah? And yet he said against you, you only, God, I have sinned. You know why? Fundamentally, every sin is a sin against the holy God. Fundamentally. It manifests itself through particular circumstances and people, but at the root, all unholiness is an offense to a holy God. David realized it. Against you, you only, I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak. You're blameless when you judge. Now, folks... You know what seems to be noticeably, glaringly missing from there? Not one time did he say, Oh God, I made a mistake. We're hearing that all the time today. So-called public confession. I made a mistake. I got caught. <laughs> yeah. Now here's the deal. I'll tell you what the cure is for making mistakes. Take a seminar on how to be a better decision maker. Sign up. If that's the root problem, you're a mistake maker. Okay. So take a seminar, take a class on how to be uh, not such a mistake maker. But if the fundamental issue is sin nature, you can take all the seminars in the world. You're not getting to the root of it. See, if the fundamental problem is sin nature, you need some internal reworking that can only be done by a Savior. That's why David says what he does in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. No, no. I didn't make a mistake, said David. I was conceived in sin, born with a sinful inclination, and never, not for one day of my life, have I been free from it. What I just did is absolutely a consistent manifestation of my sin nature. What I just did is not a departure from the norm. It reveals the norm. The norm is I'm conceived in sin from birth. I've inherited this sin nature. I simply have manifested it with Bathsheba and Uriah. It's not a surprise. It's not an exception to the rule. It is the way I am. Now, look, if you make a mistake, the implication is, you know, for most of my life, I've been the paragon of virtue. I am moral and ethical. I'm a contributing member of society. I am the salt of the earth, but, oh, I made a mistake. It's an exception to the rule. The rule is I'm noble and virtuous and above board. That is not confession. That's called deception. That is a lie. 
David called it what it is. So if this is you, don't play games. Don't say it's just a mistake. Listen, a Savior doesn't have to suffer an excruciating death on a cross for human mistakes. He has to provide his blood as a cleansing agent, however, for human sin. If you make a mistake, you don't need a Savior. You just need a bunch of patsies who listen to your so-called public confession, vote you back into office. But if you've been conceived in sin, if you have this sin nature from your mother's womb, you need some deep surgical work, and that can only be done by a, by a Savior. So this is true confession. So my fellow Christians, and I'm telling you, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm the guy in this psalm, not maybe to this extent, maybe not you, but I have the same inclination. This is what I got to do. I come to the throne of grace, not to the throne of my merit. I don't bring my resume and my portfolio of good deeds. I make my appeal based upon the mercy and grace, the love, the compassion of Almighty God. I admit to him that what I did was not a bad turn. I admit to him what I did was a reflection of the very sin in my life. I thank him. I thank him for suffering and dying for my sins so that I don't have to. I ask him to cleanse me on the inside. I ask him to continue the work of renovation because I'll have a tendency to do this thing again. And then I waltz back into fellowship with him. But don't play games with this. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Uh, come on. Verse 6, behold, you desire truth, don't you see? God desires truth in the innermost being. Don't play games with him. And in the hidden part, uh, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop. What is hyssop? Anybody know? Hyssop. What that is? Yeah, it's like a, it's a plant, isn't it? Is it not? It's a thing. Well, what they used to do in the old days, they put blood on it. It's a plant. And they would spread the blood around in religious observance. Would they not? Like in the temple courtyard and... They put it on the furnishings of the temple, kind of a symbol of cleansing it. Of course, this is a foreshadowing of the application of the blood of the ultimate lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from sin. So David is saying, purify me with hyssop, and then I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. I don't think you can lose your salvation, but I think you can lose the joy of your salvation. And you can lose the joy of your salvation when you sin against the Savior. And so David is saying, let me hear joy and gladness. Once again, you're in misery if you're a sinning Christian. If you're a sinning non-Christian, it probably doesn't bother you quite as much. In fact, you probably don't refer to it as sin at all. You probably call it, if it feels good, do it. See, so you're not miserable at all. You feel like you can just live an unrestrained life. But if you're a Christian, there's new restraint upon you. You have God's spirit in you. He won't let you get away with stuff like you used to. So you lose joy when you try to. And and then uh, verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Look, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit. He had a steadfast spirit. He says, renew it. See, this is confession. He doesn't need to be born again and again and again. Because once you're born again in truth, you don't get unborn. (laughs) 
So he's just saying, I've tasted what it is to walk closely with you in obedience, in right relationship, fellowship. Would you restore that steadfast spirit within me? Then he says, do not, look at verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I ask you a question. Will you ever have to pray verse 11? Thank you for the right answer. You will not. Go ahead, Don. Oh, and that's good. I meant as a as a uh, as a Christian at at this point in time, on this side of the cross. Well said, Don. And and let me expand on that point if you don't mind. You are right on target. Um, David was not off base when he prayed this. You see, when David prayed this, remember, and I love what Don said. It was before the cross, right? See, Jesus had not yet been crucified, resurrected, ascended. And at this point, Jesus did not yet say, I will send to you another helper. See, this is what he did um, just prior to the cross. He said to his followers, don't worry. It's good for you that I leave. And here's how it's good. I'm going to send you another helper. Well, who's the first? He is. So, so see, now after the cross, we have two divine helpers. One's in heaven. His name is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. And the other is just as divine. He's the Holy Spirit. He's in our lives. Jesus sent his very spirit, see? But at this point, that's not how the Holy Spirit manifested himself yet. Am I saying the Holy Spirit didn't exist? Oh, I'm not saying that at all. See, the Holy Spirit has all of the attributes of God. He's fully God. So one of his attributes is pre-existence. The Holy Spirit was n- never came into being, never was created. He always was. But he manifested here in the Old Testament temporarily. He wouldn't so much come into people permanently as much as he would come upon them, anointing them for special tasks and deeds and things like that. But on Acts chap- in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost... The Holy Spirit came in rather dramatic fashion and indwelt believers permanently. So you'll never have to pray, thank God, verse 11 again. He's in you. But what do you pray now? You say, oh God, keep me from quenching your spirit within me. He's not going anywhere, but you can neutralize him. How? He's the Holy Spirit, that which is unholy, quenches him. So the Bible says, be filled with him, which simply means yield. Let him control you. And that's an everyday kind of a prayer. He's not going anywhere. But if you want him to be operative in your life in full measure, get yourself out of the way. Repent. That simply means turn from sin to God who forgives it. Confess. That means to agree with God. Don't call what you did a mistake when in fact it's a sin. (laughs) And get it right with God. So that's verse 11. Then David says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See where I'm getting at? He's not saying save me. He's saying restore to me the joy of your salvation. He didn't lose (laughs) his covenant relationship. He lost the joy of it. See? I beseech you, and I'm just one of you. You see, that's why God doesn't have... Do you know God doesn't do preaching and teaching through angels? It's just humans 
you know, why? So we could relate to one another and nobody, no listener could think, boy, that guy's got it all together. Man, King David didn't have it all together. How are guys like us going to have it all together? We don't. We're just humans. So I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm just telling you this. You may be in a period of unconfessed sin in your life right now, though you'd be a Christian. Do what David did. Do what all of us have to do. Go through these steps. Make it right with God. Do yourself a favor. Taste the joy of your salvation once again. Now, David says, after God does this, look, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So who do you think is in the best position to teach transgressors about God's grace and forgiveness? Another transgressor. That's why God doesn't use angels to get the job done. He uses us. David is going to be like an expert on sin and how to confess it and how to turn from it and how to experience forgiveness from it and how to be restored and how to have joy once again. You see? So this is stuff you don't learn in a classroom. This is stuff you learn in the experience of real life. I love this psalm. This is like, this is like the university of the world. David lived in it. David's going to be an expert on major concepts. Grace, forgiveness, pardon, restoration. So he says, verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, and then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The best worshipers are the worshipers who don't forget how much God has forgiven. (laughs) That's why I think he doesn't make us forget all our stuff. Sometimes I say, God, why do you, you know, I got a bunch of past memories I'm not proud of. Why don't you just blot that out? I mean, if I'm saved, if I'm new in Christ, why don't you just, because he wants me to remember how far he has brought me, but he doesn't want me going back there. And so when I enter into worship, I, I remember, oh my goodness. I once was blind, but now I see. You, you, you see? So, so David says, I'm going to sing like crazy in worship. Oh Lord, verse 15, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Now get this. You don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, well, they're a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you won't despise. So let me tell you something. People do bad things and they know it because God has given the voice of conscience to everybody. So then what they try to do is make up for it by doing some good things. That's why all these insanely immoral, degraded Hollywood folk, not everyone, but just about, involved in unbelievable stuff, are at the forefront of token humanitarian efforts to change the world. We are the world. We are the... Are you, so you made a song and charging me 10 bucks for it. Woo. 
They've created the new religion, which is called environmentalism. We're going to save Mother Earth. Because I don't want to admit my need for a savior. I don't want you to believe for one minute that I'm polluted in my internal environment. So I'm going to talk about going green instead of going red, the color of blood. So I'm going to Haiti. I'm going to make... So you get maniacs like Sean Penn. I mean, crazy people. You know, who are making... I mean, darkened in their understanding and making their trip to Haiti. You know what I mean? Adopting children from Africa. These are good things. Don't misunderstand. But God says, I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for sacrifice. I'm not looking for burnt offering. Here's what I'm looking for when you have sinned. A broken and a contrite heart. Contrite means needy. It means crushed. So you get someone like Madonna who sleeps with all kinds of everything. Males, females, dogs. I mean, there's like no holds barred for this paragon of we're going to change the world, Madonna. And then there'll be token, you know, stuff, humanitarian stuff. You know what God is saying to someone like Madonna? Those are cool things that you're doing. Keep doing them. But that's not going to cut the mustard with me. Here's the sacrifice I'm looking for. It's the sacrifice of your human pride. I want you to admit, no matter how many of these good deeds you do, they won't appease me because I'm holy. Your deeds are like junk to me. I'm looking for a crushed spirit. That's a spirit that says, Oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. I did not do it because I made a mistake. I did it because I am a sinner from birth. Oh God, I make no appeal to you on the basis of any merit or good thing dwelling within me. No, my approach to you is purely based on your grace and mercy. Oh God, I confess to you that I got such a problem. It isn't so much what I did that's the problem. It's what is in me that made me do it. That's the problem, therefore. Would you renovate me from the inside? It's not about using different light bulbs. I'm not saving Mother Earth. I need Father God to save me. So come into my life. Create in me. Wash me and I'll be white as snow. You see? See what he's saying? Purify me. Now, the last two verses with which we'll close. If you look at those, you might think, as do some, it has no connection with what has gone before. Well, that cannot be true because God gave us this. Everything in the Bible that God gives is connected. You just have to start interpreting the Bible knowing that. There's no problem with the Bible. The problem is with you. So sometimes we've got to work at stuff. So here, look. David says in verse 8, after all this confession and repentance, he says, by your favor, do good to Zion. That's another name for Israel. Now, how's he going from his personal stuff to Israel? Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then he says in the concluding verse, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering, in whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. David is saying, there'll there'll come a time when all that is done in Israel, the sacrifices they offer will be good and acceptable to you. So tell me if if you're tracking this with me. And if you don't like this, that's cool. Leave it behind because I'm working at this. I think David is saying 
I think David is admitting, for so long as I, a king of Israel, have been at odds with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it has affected the whole congregation. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, I polluted the whole congregation. I think he's saying, I polluted Israel, I polluted Jerusalem. But if I get it together, it'll have a pervasive effect on the whole congregation so that the offerings they offer will have a measure of acceptability to you they do not have if I don't repent. Which leads me to this. I've got to get it right with God because otherwise I'm victimizing you. You've got to get it right with God because otherwise you're victimizing me. Folks, we're connected whether you like it or not. God saved us to be in one family. So we pray, Our Father. We trace our spiritual beginnings to the same dad. That means the way you go affects me. The way I go affects you. That means sin has a pervasive effect on an entire congregation. That means not only do yourself a favor by turning from it, do the rest of us a favor. And that applies to me too. You understand? Do you think there's any do you think there's something to that or am I missing? These are tough verses over here. I think I'm right. Of course, I always think I'm right. <laughs> Say again. Oh, usually I am. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Tell that to my wife. But anyway, uh, yeah, go ahead, brother. Yes, it's, uh, uh, it's a good point. It's as if he's saying, if I do good, it'll give impetus to others to do, to do likewise. Oh, oh, to repent. Oh, I see. I see. I see what you're saying. By, um, but he's actually making that appeal to God, not to the people. I think what you said is true, but that, but I don't think that's kind of in view here. He's saying, God. I think he's saying, but but I could be wrong here. So, so I, I enjoy this conversation. We're trying to work on this. I think he's saying, God. Now that I got it right, there's nothing to keep you from doing good to the whole congregation of which I'm a part. I think he's kind of. You're done? Could it be true that even while he's praying, God's expanding his horizon? Yeah. Oh, no, I like that. So while he's praying, he's kind of centered on his own issues. And then God is saying, no, we're going to broaden you out here. Oh, that's a good one. So now that he's getting it right, he could even... God is just, God is just, you know, when you have light, and you're active on the light you have, God gives you more. Man, that is good. I really like that. I think you're on to something there. Do you, do you like that one? Did you hear that? Don, where have you been? I've had to study because you haven't been here. I could be watching American Idol. What's the deal? Man, that was on target. That was beautiful. I think you're on. That is good. Willard, did you have your hand up? That's right. Uh, 
Oh, that's good. Willard said, in case you didn't hear, he said, one of the devil's biggest lies, lies is that your sin doesn't have an effect on other people. It does. It really does. You know how they say two consenting adults? You know, we've polluted, we've corrupted the earth, and we've made it look like it's an external environment, you know, global warm. Hey, you know what's funny? They were having a meeting of the national who knows what on global warning in D.C., and they had to cancel it because it was so cold. <laughs> that was really good. Hey, go ahead, Charlie. Yeah. And the Lord said even the Yeah. That's right. He had such influence, didn't he? standard bearer as the leader and what you said is right it's that internal environment that god's really wanting to clean up because from it behaviors come yes ma'am oh wow that's a good thought our sister said uh, uh, by your favor do good to zion um, does that mean um, don't blame Israel for what I've done? Don't hold against her. Wow, that's good. Man, that is good. I hate it when you people come up with stuff that's better than what I was. That's really, really good. Yeah, I like that idea. Well, folks, we're going to take leave of one another now. This is a, um, much more c- could be discussed. And that's the beauty of studying the Bible. We'll never... Uh, Exhaust it. And, and one day we'll be in the very presence of the Word of God who came to be enfleshed, the Lord Jesus. So we'll, you know, the Bible says we see things kind of dimly and darkly right now. Can you imagine um, having uncluttered vision of all of these things just by being in the Lord's presence? Folks, the best is yet to come. Just hang in there. Uh, it, it's going to get better. Lord Jesus, we thank you for... Um, extending um, your compassionate arms to us daily so that when we're at our worst, you, you remain at your best. You only ask us to acknowledge who we are and who you are. You could take care of the rest. So the problem really isn't our sin, is it? It's our prideful insistence to call it what it ain't. I made a mistake. I made a bad turn. I'm a victim of circumstances. No. I sin because I'm a sinner. You save because you're the Savior. Thank you for casting all our sins behind your back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to restore to us the joy of our salvation. If only, only, only we repent of it, confess it, and accept your forgiveness. I pray that be the case with every single person here. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you. See you. In Psalm 63, Lord willing, next week.